0: it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Yehuda Gabbard. Gabbard with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been sponsored in honor of the shiurim of Rav Baruch Rosenblum, who is a popular Maggid shir. In Bnei Brak, who's been delivering Shiurim across Israel for the last 20 plus years. Each week he delivers Parsha Shiurim attended by hundreds in person and thousands online. They are deep and captivating, bringing, citing sources and commentary from across the Torah spectrum Rishainim, Achrainim, Chasidus, Balei Musr, to down to our own generations, Torah giants. For the first time ever, his work is now being published. In English, a PDF of each new shear is released each week, ready to be printed, and short sure to enrich your Shabbos or weekday spiritual Torah experience. Each shear will leave you amazed at what you discovered. It's exciting, interesting, engaging, captivating. It's an easy read and quite enjoyable. The breadth of sources from all over the place. There's something there for everyone. I can personally vouch for these Shi'urim. I enjoy it on a regular basis and I believe that listeners of Jewish history soundbites will as well. It's highly recommended. So for Rav Rosenblum's Shi'urim you can visit TorahPapers.com for details on how to receive this Torah treasure. Just to bring this out as an example, in the first 18 issues of the shiur publication, there's been over 130 sources cited. Of those, over 40 of them appear in the titles of Jewish history soundbites. In all likelihood, many more than that are mentioned in the podcast themselves. So there's definitely you know, the connection between the Torah and the history over here. And therefore, go to TorahPapers.com for te- details, and I will post the link to that in the show notes. Before we get to the subject at hand of the Alexander Hasidic dynasty in Poland, the pre-war um, Hasidic dynasty of Alexander, I want to do three short tributes of uh, people who passed away uh, recently, and it's not going to be to Pele, the king of, of soccer, or to the Pope Emeritus Benedict, or even to Barbara Walters. It's rather the three tributes are to three great tzaddikim who lived here in Israel and all passed away last week. First one is to Rav Mendel Atik, a special tzaddik, a Yerushalmi, who remained Yerushalmi, um, yet with his simplicity and quiet way of, of, of doing things, he was one of the greatest Torah scholars in the world. He was a student of Rav Zalman Meltzer and Chaim. He was the last surviving member of the original 10 students who founded the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim in 1944. He was a very close student of the Chazaynish and of the Briskarov, and he held various Torah positions of leadership in several different yeshivas around Israel and Yerushalayim over the years. Really a big loss, the last of a generation. Um, Also, the beginning of last week was the passing of Reb Chaim Druckmann, a senior leader of the religious Zionist community in Israel. He was the rabbi of the town of Merkaz Shapiro. He was the Rosh Hashiva of Or Sion, the head of all the Hezder Yeshivas, the head of the whole B'nai Akiva, a rabbi, a paisik, a political leader, a former member of the Knesset, a writer, a thinker. It almost boggles the mind how much he accomplished and led at the same time. But he was actually... Born in Kitov in Poland, today in Ukraine, he survived the Holocaust in hiding, and then his family escaped to Chernovitz, and then he um, escaped to Romania before making it to Israel. Um, also a, quite a personality. The third one, someone I actually knew personally, was Rebetzin Sholamis Ezrahi, uh, the wife of Baruch Mordechai Izrahi may live and be well, and she was the sister of the mashgiach of the Mir, of Aaron Chodosh, and that's I got to know her. I saw her, met her times at the mashgiach's house. Um, she, among her many other uh, great things she accomplished, but she was also the author of a fantastic book about her father. So she profiled her father, uh, the great Chevron Mashgiach Rameir Chodosh, an excellent book um, which I enjoyed a lot. And, uh, but she was quite a personality in her own right. She was very beloved in Beit Vagan, where she lived, in the wider yeshiva community. So those were three tributes. May their memory be a blessing. And now we move on to Alexander. Uh, Alexander Chassidus in Poland. It's about time we return to the somewhat the bread and butter of Jewish history. Some good old Polish pre-war Hasidic community dynasty. Haven't done it in a while. And I've been meaning to profile the story of Alexander for quite some time. It's one of my favorites, um, so I'm glad that we finally have the opportunity to do so. And I'd like to open up with two amusing and somewhat ironic stories to introduce the topic, because Alexander is less well-known, even though it was one of the largest in the world, probably the largest in the world pre-war after GARE or some would say the same size of, as Ger, or even bigger than Ger. There's a, you know, a bit of a a dispute about it, but I'm going to get to the size soon once we talk about it and why there's such a dispute and what the truth is, if we can even figure it out. Um, but it's less well-known today. It was very, very much decimated in the Holocaust, very small um, relatively today, um, because uh, with Alexander, there's a bit of an irony or a paradox. You know, they have this... Pre-war, massive size, the glory, and near nearly extinct uh, today. Not extinct, but very much near near that after the war, and has a little bit rebuilt in Benebrak and other places, but uh, nothing you know nothing like it was before the war. So these two anecdotes that I'm about to relate bring out in a funny or maybe perhaps tragic way what remains in the collective memory regarding this great. Uh, Dynasty. So the first one is a a colleague of mine uh, related a story about how either he or maybe a colleague of his, I don't recall, um, was interviewing a elderly secular um, Polish Jew survivor in Tel Aviv. Completely secular. Um, He had you know gone through the war, and he had you know even though he had grown up Hasidic, he had grown up um, as a Ger Hasid. Um, prior to the war, but he, you know, after he lost his family, this happened to many people, their experiences in the Holocaust, and they, you know, abandoned religion completely, and he was completely secular. Yet, on the other hand, he grew up in Warsaw before the war, and he knew the Imre the Ger Rebbe, so, so my colleague wanted to interview him about his memories of pre war Gare. So he goes down to Tel Aviv, and he interviews this uh, guy, and the TV is on. And, and to respect his his guest his religious guest he turns off the TV so he said you know you don't have to turn off the TV I'm you know I'm, I'm cool you do whatever's comfortable for you I'm a guest in your house so the guy probably just to kid around and and and, and tease his guest a little bit he said he said I turned it off and he says to him in Polish Yiddish he, he says in his rich polish Yiddish he says they're the they're speaking against the rebbe's aguda. In other words, the Ger Rebbe, which was a good so then the TV, the Israeli TV, there probably some political issue in the Knesset. They were speaking against the aguda. So his uh, his wife, this fellow's wife. Uh, host's wife, uh, hears from the kitchen. She's also an elderly Polish-Jewish Holocaust survivor. And she hears from the kitchen, and she yells to him, she says, You eat on Yom Kippur, you know, who, who are you trying to impress? You don't exactly care about the Rebbe Zagura. So this guy leans over to to his religious interviewer, guest, and he says to him, Was fashtet zi? ziz von Alexander? What does she know? She's from Alexander. That's story number one. And that brings out the main collective memory that people have about Alexander is the great war that existed between the two great dynasties in central Poland, the two massive, huge courts of Alexander and Ger and the 30-year uh, war that they waged against each other. And unfortunately, that's what that's what's remembered. That's uh, one story. The Second story is um, when I was in the Mir yeshiva, and um, I'm a sociable kind of guy, so I met someone there, and I was schmoozing with him, and asked him, you know, about his background, where he's from, and it somehow came out that uh, his grandfather was from Warsaw before the war, went through the war, went through the Warsaw ghetto, went through the uprising, Majdanek, Auschwitz, death marches, the whole, the whole nine yards. And and I said, oh, so was he Hasidic? What, what was his background pre-war? So he said, he he was from Alexander. So I said, wow, Alexander, that's you know rare. Alexander Hasid from Warsaw who survived the war, you know, settled down in and wherever in New York after the war, and had this big beautiful family. Now I said, wow, it's amazing. So you're you're a rare commodity. So the guy, all of a sudden, his demeanor uh, changes. He has this, like, fire in his eyes. And he says, yes, our Rebbe did not run away with this, like, you know, defiance. And almost like, I don't know if it was triumphant or anger or bitterness. I'm not sure what the underlying uh, uh, current of the attitude was. And it was clear um, what he was referring to, the last Rebbe of Alexander uh, the Akedah Sitzler, Rabbi Zvi Mendel Danziger, he did not uh, escape, even though he had the opportunity to do so. He was killed in Treblinka together with his family and and his Hasidic community. And unfortunately, that you know that was one of the reasons that the Alexander community was not able to really rebuild to its pre-war height, both because of its decimation and the fact that the Rebbe stayed with them and there was no strong leadership. Um, after the war, even though they did appoint a Rebbe, which we'll get to, but it was not the same as having uh, their previous Rebbe who uh, was before the war. So, those are the two stories, and that's the collective memory, the decimation in the Holocaust, and the fact that the Rebbe does not leave, he stays with them, he's killed in Treblinka in the gas chambers, together with his followers, and this uh, dispute that they have with, uh, with Ger. So, we're going to talk about Alexander and there's a lot of stereotypes and of course when there's not many living members to tell the stories so stereotypes stereotypes are often as portrayed as reality um, there's always the question of how much they do though and you know actually do are stereotypes just stereotypes and reality was very different and I'll give an example um very often in historiography, Alexander is described as a community in the social sense, in the social history of the, of the community, um, as more working class Hasidim. They're more based in Ludge, which was a textile center, and factories, less elite, uh, factory workers. The Ludge the look kind of as opposed to Ger, their arch-rival, which was the wealthy, the Torah scholars, they're more aggressive, they're more political, Alexander's less political, more simplicity, more avas Yisrael, and less elitist, like I said. So those are kind of like the stereotypes that people say, and they pass them off as if they were true. It's likely that these stereotypes are unfounded, um, but they were developed as... Their adversaries developed them, and they were developed probably as propaganda during the dispute between Garen and Alexander, and when people attempt to paint stereotypes, and then these stereotypes are subsequently adopted by their respective communities, in almost in a sense of pride, and later on... That's what happens as it's passed on into the collective memory of both the survivors and of historians uh, who who buy it into it. But it it likely has little to do with reality. In other words, I'm sure we would be just as likely to find Torah scholars in Alexander. And I'm sure we would be just as likely to find factory workers in Ger. Um, Alexander did emphasize uh, simplicity, faith, love of fellow Jews, togetherness and unity And there is definitely less emphasis on scholarship, which is what, at least in the collective memory, set them apart from Ger. The big question when people speak about Alexander is its size. And people throw around numbers as if they know what they're talking about, which is kind of funny to watch, because it's actually impossible to quantify Hasidic communities before the war. Um, I don't know of any um, barometer of measuring that. I'm not aware of and I don't think anyone is aware of. It's 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 nearly impossible to it's it's possible to estimate the size. I'm going to get to what Marcin Wojcicki uh, did in in a second. He was able to estimate it with a very creative way of doing so. Um but it, people throw around 100,000, 200,000, a million, a this or a that. Um obviously these numbers are all exaggerated. The both Ger and Alexander had tens of thousands of Hasidim. Both Ger and Alexander were Likely much much larger than the third and fourth and fifth largest dynasties in in um, in in Europe in before the war. Uh, obviously, all the big ones were in Poland. Uh, the other large ones were in Galicia: Belz and Babov and Czartkiew. Um In in Poland, in Greater Poland, in Congress Poland, there was also Radomsk, which was quite large. But but Garin Alexander were significant significantly larger. But it's impossible to quantify the exact size or the relative sizes. Um, the the Alexander Center is Luge, which had two hundred and thirty three thousand Jews before the war, but most of them were not religious Jews, and even not not all the religious Jews were Alexander. There were many other there were plenty of Ger, there were plenty of other Hasidic groups in Luge as well. The main center for Ger was Warsaw, but again, there also, most of the Jews, overwhelming majority, were not religious. And even the ones who were religious, not all were Hasidim, and not, definitely not all were Ger. So Professor Marchin Wojcicki has a creative way of trying to quantify the size of Hasidic communities pre-war, and his research uh, indicates that Ger may have been slightly larger. And I apologize to my Alexander listeners uh, for uh, informing them of this not that much larger his 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 research is based on shtibels counting the size of shtibels he says if we there obviously you know we take an average shtibel is if we average out all the shtibels if we have thousands of shtibels then they're probably all of an average size in other words there are shtibels the members of shtibels are people who regularly daven in a hasidic shtibel so there's, there's going to be some shteebles that are larger, more people, and some that are smaller, all across Poland, especially in the big cities. But, um, but we can assume that there's an average. And therefore, if we count the stables then we can know the approximate sizes, at least their relative sizes to each other, in other words, not, not their absolute sizes of numbers. Um, I hope I'm being clear. Um, and and he, how do you count the shteebles? So his main source was Yizker Bicholach, the Yizker books that were written by survivors about their communities after the war. And he actually went through every single yizker Bichel and counted the shteebles that were mentioned by the survivors in the various articles there, which is you know simply to go ahead and count it, numbers, and put it onto an Excel spreadsheet and see which one has the most shtibles. Um And then, of course, there's other sources. There's newspaper reports, which he looked at about shteebles, pre war Yiddish newspapers and the press and stuff like that. And if you gather all that together then you can get an approximate number of stables obviously you're not going to get to 100% he told he told us that he got to close to 70% of all the stables in Poland which is an incredibly high number and uh and he, he said that his favorite part was when he published his findings and he was criticized by different uh, Hasidic communities. How'd you forget about this shtiebel? How'd you forget about that shtiebel? You didn't do good research. You didn't mention this shtiebel. And he said that was the best part of it because now he had more information. These people were able to inform him of other shtiebels that he didn't know about. And the fact that they were only able to find a handful showed how good his research was. So the criticism was the best part. Um, but... Uh, the, the Shtibel research indicates that Ger may have been slightly larger than Alexander, and uh, everything else was far behind that. Radomsk and Belz and Babov and, and all the others. Obviously, out of Poland, uh, the Hasidic communities are much smaller, um, but, uh, but but we're talking about in, in Poland itself. So, um, Alexander's origins are in Pszich, uh, like most Polish Hasidic uh, dynasties, Worka um, the, the, the official the pre-founder, not even the founder, the pre-founder is Rosharga Feivel, Tanziker of the he was a student of Pshischa, and it comes through this Varka side, the old, there is a old Reb of Alexander, they call him Alter Alexander, has no connection to this, it's connected more to Kotsk and Ger, Rabbi Henech Levin, the Altar Rebbe of Alexander, he's actually the ancestor of the prominent Ger Levin family. He just happened to live in Alexander, but he has no connection to the, the uh, Alexander dynasty that we are uh, talking about. He, this Altar Rebbe of Alexander, Rabbi Hanach Henech Levin, was the, was the Rebbe for four years following the Chidu Harim's passing in 1866 before the Sfasemes, assumed the mantle of leadership of Ger in 1870, and this has zero connection to the Alexander dynasty that we're discussing. So just wanted to clarify that. So there's this idea in the early um, Hasidic times, especially in Poland in the 19th century, of non-dynastic succession um, in, in in early Polish Hasidim, and in Pshischa there's, long after there's already dynastic succession in in in, in in Hasidic Ukraine, in Hasidic Belarus, um, in Hasidic Lithuania. Um, in Poland, there's still non dynastics it's meritocracy. In fact, there was already dynastic succession in Valozhin, so the Litvaks and their yeshivas had already adopted dynastic succession in the yeshiva in Valozhin, and yet Polish Hasidim, which are usually the ones blamed for the dynasty uh, thing had not yet adopted that mode of, of, of a succession of leadership. It was still a meritocracy. So there goes another myth that it only came later on to the Litvaks. It actually was first by the Litvaks and only later on to the Polish uh, Hasidim. So the, um, the the Alexander dynasty needs to be seen in the context of Polish Hasidus, because following the passing of Rebsim Chabonim of Pshischa in 1827 the Pshischa community split the majority went to Kutsk uh, and with the Kutsker and the minority goes to the son of Repsim of Pshischa or um, of who passed away a few months later and he was succeeded by one of the prime students of Repsim of Pshischa of Yitzchak Kalish Yitzcha of um in the town of Varka suburb of Warsaw, been there a couple of times on trips on the other hand there are those who say that posit that a majority of the Pshischa followers ended up on the Varka side and only a minority went to Kutsk so it's a big question this split in Pshischa between Varka and Kutsk is later on going to be echoed in the Alexander and Ger um, um wars but this Varka and Kutsk uh, uh, split wasn't that uh, exciting um, either way, the question is, it wasn't really to Kutsk, first of all, it was to Tomashov, he only moved to Kutsk a couple of years later, but that's a good discussion for another time. Um, who, was there more who went to Varka or more who went to Kutsk? There are certainly several prominent Pshischa disciples who went to the Varka side, including Rupshag of Danziger of Gretze, who's kind of like the pre-patriarch of the Alexander dynasty, under discussion here now, also of Yaakov Arya Guterman, the Rad, of Radzamin, um, was also buried in the Warsaw Cemetery that we go to, um, and several others. If we'd summarize the Hasidic world of central Poland in the early 20th century, it would be possible to generalize um, by noting that there's three clusters of Hasidic groupings. There's the non Hasidic dynasties, such as Radomsk, Kuznets, Majzets, and others. There's the Kutsk Pshizcha dynasties, such as Kutsk, which includes Pilov and Lukov, and and there's Sakhachev, Chechenov, Pilts, Gustinin, Ishbits, Radzin, Lublin, and of course main one, the most prominent one is Ger and several others. The third cluster was the was the Pshischa Varka cluster of dynasties, which included Varka, Amshinov, Alexander, Strykov, Radzamin, Skarnovich and several others. Biala is somewhere in, in there as well, either on the uh, Kutsk side or the Varka side—I remember offhand. So Alexander comes from the Varka side, which is considered the more calm, or moderate, or more loving, more less extreme. However, you want to use your PC term to describe it. Um, uh, that's the Varka one, as opposed to Ger, the Kutsk uh, Ger, which is the more sharp and and and, and um, less calm, we'll say. Um, so following the passing of Ravitschek in 1848, parenthetically he's a fascinating person and leader of Polish Jewry who will have to do something on him one day. He's an amazing personality. But uh, Ravitschek is succeeded by his close friend Rav Shragofeibel of Gritz, who subsequently passes away a half a year later and it reverts back to the children of Ravitschek and later on to Berish Landa of Biala it's later on Strykov comes from that and upon the latter's passing in 1876, most of the Varka followers turned to the son of Ribshraga Shraga 5 of Gretz, Rabbi Chiel and he assumed the leadership of the primary Varka community in Central Poland. It's interesting to note that it sounds like there's sons and fathers here, but it's not exactly dynastical succession, because... It goes back and forth to different students and different families and only comes back to the son later on. But of course, this is soon to change because now this is the founding of the Alexander dynasty and it goes straight father to son after that. Um, Rabbi Chiel Danziger serves as rabbis, of uh, community rabbis. He was an accomplished Torah scholar, not only a Hasidic leader, he was a rabbi of several communities, until he eventually settled in a Settled, excuse me, in a uh, Ludge suburb called Alexander, Um, Alexandrov in Polish. Um, Rubichil is considered the father of the Alexander dynasty. It would remain a Ludge based Hasidus until its demise in the Holocaust. In the 1870s, Ludge hadn't yet emerged as the massive urban industrial sprawl with its incredibly large Jewish population it was later to become. Um, in the 1870s there was less than 10,000 Jews in Lodz, which is already quite sizable, it's not a little shtetl, but by the time the war broke out in 1939 there were 233,000 Jews living in Lodz and it was second only to Warsaw um, in, in its size of uh, in, in Jewish Poland. Um, so it was a massive, huge Jewish community, um, industrial textile industry, it was... It was, um, it was a major factory center and, and uh, very urban, and, and lodge is a good story also. Sir Rebichil served at the helm in Alexander until his passing in 1894, and he succeeded by his son, Rabbi Rechmil Yisroel Yitzchak Danziger, known later on by his, his uh, sefer, the Yismach Yisroel. One of the most interesting rabbis of his day. He served the Alexander community from 1894 until his passing in 1910. He had, he never had children. Um, he, he, he actually had a childlike look himself. He had no facial hair. Very interesting. People would be like in awe of him. He had this incredible personality, very strong leader. Alexander began to grow and emerge as one of the larger Hasidic communities of central Poland under his leadership. And when he passes away, childless, he, you know, he obviously couldn't be succeeded by a child, so he's succeeded by his younger brother of Shmuel Tsvi Danziger, the Teferis Shmuel, and he established the first Alexander Yeshiva and one of the earliest earliest Hasidic yeshivas in Poland altogether, and he named it Beis Yisrael in memory of his childless brother, the previous rebbe. Um, so he and his the Tveris Shmuel and his brother the Yismach Israel and the father the the Rabbi Chil uh, are all buried in Alexander along with another third brother named Rabbi Sal Yoyer who stayed in ludge and he was a leader of the Alexander uh, Shteibels within the city with his you know, un, you know managed managed the uh, managed it for his brother he's also buried in Alexander when he passed away in 1934 um, in 1923. The Teferes Shmuel passes away and is succeeded by his son, the last pre-war rebbe, Rabbi, rabbi Yitzchak Menachem Mendel Danziger, who's later on, after he's killed in Treblinka um, during the Holocaust, his the title of his work is given as Akeidas Yitzchak, which was very apropos um, due to his martyrdom in Treblinka. So he was actually briefly profiled on Jewish History Soundbites a few years ago on a Tishabov podcast. Dedicated to great Torah leaders murdered in the Holocaust, uh, so you might want to check that episode out. It's an old episode, but I spoke a little bit about him there. And it was under the, his watch, Rabbi Zekronach uh, that Alexander reaches its full glory. It was the largest in Poland, and uh, the, it was the largest in Poland, and hence the world, along with Ger, obviously, which was slightly larger. Its arch rival. It had this impressive. Uh, Alexander at this time had this uh, impressive network of shtiblach and yeshivas, space Yisrael. The Yeshiva, the Yisrael yeshiva wasn't just one or two in Alexander and Ludge. It became this yeshiva network. Uh, tens of thousands of Hasidim would converge on the court for the Umni Raim and other special occasions. Its urban center in Ludge made it an easy, uh, easily accessible. It's a suburb. Gera, of course, has Warsaw. Um, tens of thousands of followers, a huge community. It's initially apolitical. Um, which was very unique for Polish Jews at the time. Later on, towards the end of the interwar period, it joins the Aguda. The Rebbe actually attended the third Knessia G'dayla of Agudas Yisrael in Marian Baden, Czechoslovakia. But very often, the political stance of of um, of, of of Alexander was just to be um, anti-Ger. That, that was the way they decided their politics. Ger was associated with Aguda, so therefore Alexander wasn't. Um, It was more noticeable by local elections. Um, Alexander would run on separate tickets, just not to be running with Ger. Um, For a short time, Alexander even identified with Mizrahi, religious Zionism, seemingly not because of any identification with Zionism per se, which was would have been very rare for Polish Hasidim at the time, but rather seemingly just a spite gear. Um, Later on, they quickly disassociated with Mizrahi and they were just apolitical altogether. And then, of course, like I said, towards the end when the dispute was resolved, shortly before the war, they did join Agudas Yisrael. Um, and like I'm alluding to the whole time, one of the most famous stories about the Alexander dynasty was its long war with its... Rival in Poland, Garret's the two largest, most prominent, and influential courts, and they embark on this 30 year war. the 30 year war uh, commences in 1907 and it is not resolved by the Peace of Westphalia like the original 30 Years' War in the 1648 I think it ended um, with the Catholics and Protestants in Central Europe. That's a different story. This is Garre and Alexander in the 20th century. It was mostly about control in smaller Polish towns outside of Lodz and Warsaw, um, rabbinical appointments, sheikhtim, uh, other functionaries in the kahals, in the religious communities. Um, and uh, there was an attempt at peacemaking um, by the Chavitz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim, who who's universally is universally respected and he also was a lover of peace, he attempted to broker a peace agreement and, um, and, um, you know, I don't know if it was in Geneva and I don't know if it was called the Abraham Accords, but he attempted and he was almost as successful as some of the peace treaties in the Middle East. In other words, he was not successful at all um, in brokering any peace treatment. And the, the war continued until it kind of resolved itself um, in the late 1930s. I want to read a passage of a memoir. Um uh, that was uh, written about the dispute, just to give a little bit of a flavor. It's a little colorful, a little bit not PC. I hope no one's offended, um, I think it's you know a little bit interesting, you know, for historical. Someone who was an eyewitness, someone who lived at the time. Um, it, it, first of all, the the it starts before I get to the passage. It starts uh, at the the what instigates it in, is it in 1907 uh, um, in the town of Zhdunskavola. Uh, not far from Ludge, a rabbinic dispute. Who's going to become the rabbi of the community? Everyone's trying to exercise control and expand their base of operations and have political influence and religious influence and control over different uh, smaller communities around Poland, around central Poland. So these conflicts were about positions, about functionaries, about, you know, and things like that, um, which would would give me more control. So the passage I want to read uh, reads as follows. Each would belittle the other and neither spared the other any barbs. Alexander called Ger's self-confidence insolent and behavior befitting adolescent Gentiles, but they were somewhat scared of their rival's confidence and sense of authority. Ger followers always behaved everywhere. They went with a confident arrogance and conceit while disparaging followers of other Hasidic factions. They conversed in their own rapid and erudite Dialect, swallowing half words, praying and speaking in a unique sing-song way, grimacing and making unusual bodily gestures of their own and inclining their heads to one side as if they were gestures of humility. But hidden within this meekness was a sense of contempt for everyone, everything and everyone. All the minor and insignificant uh, Hasidic sects in Poland talked about this in secret with jealousy and bitterness, but they still felt themselves subjects of Ger and kept cover in their hiding places. Followers of Alexander were too numerous to demote themselves to the rank of subjects of Ger, however. But they were too weak to be of familiar stature as Ger or to be able to ever win them in battle. Followers of Alexander always opposed Ger and they always lost. That's why Alexander followers always clenched their fists in front of followers of Gers. They snarled at them. They blamed them for being rude. And once in a while they would quietly joke about the Rebbe of Ger. The people of Ger remained undefeated. The attitude of Ger followers towards those of Alexander, as was noted, was most insulting. They considered Alexander to be a bunch of loafers, Jews who loved alcohol but engaged in very little Torah learning. Most of the uh, most of all the followers of Ger liked to poke fun at the Alexander. Uh, the personality of the Alexander Rebbe. That's the end of that passage. It's very non-flattering, and unfortunately, it's a it's a um, a tragic episode. Um, you know, it went international, and it, it went to it went to national scale. It went to international into the land of Israel. It went to the it went into Polish politics, non hasidic Jewish politics, Polish non-Jewish politics. And it it got all over the place. So it was uh, quite a tragic story. Uh, But that that really brings it out in a colorful way, even if it makes one feel uncomfortable the way, um, you know, Jews treated each other, religious Jews treated each other at times during these uh, rather um, not fun uh, disputes, uh, rather, you know, sad disputes that took place in the politics of interwar Jewish Poland. Of course, the memoir is describing the followers, not the great tzaddikim themselves, and that's important to note uh, as well. In the Holocaust, as one of the. um most prominent leaders of Polish Jewry, the Rebbe, Rebizik Menachem Mendel, the Achad Yitzchak, he appeared on the cover of one of the issues of the Nazi anti-Semitic uh, newspaper Der Stürmer. Julius Streicher. Um, he um, so the Rebbe uh, left um, Alexander and goes in the beginning of the war to Lodz, and he then escapes to Warsaw. He remained in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, he had an opportunity to escape to the land of Israel, but he refused. To abandon his followers. He chose to stay with them and share their fate. He was employed in the famous uh, Schultz shop of Avram Hendel, um, who ironically was a Gera Hasid, um, until he was deported to Treblinka, and he was killed upon arrival in the gas chambers there, along with his entire family and his followers, all his Hasidim, during the great uh, deportation in the summer of 1942. With the exception of a couple of children of his who had died young before the war, all of the Alexander Rebbe's children and grandchildren were killed in the Holocaust, mostly in the Treblinka death camp. Alexander was decimated. The family of the Rebbe, the Rebbe himself, the Hasidim, the communities, central Poland and its Hasidic dynasties, most mostly, uh, were gone. Um, there was a somewhat of a resurgence in Bnei Brak after the war, uh, many years earlier, there was a close follower of the Yismach Yisrael of Alexander named Rabbi Huda Meisha Tiberg. He came from a prominent Alexander family. He eventually married the daughter of the younger brother of the Alexander Rebbe, um, who I mentioned previously, the previous Alexander Rebbe, the, his younger brother, Rabbi Tzal Yoir Danziger, So it made, him a, made this, this Rabbi Huda Meisha Tiberg, a nephew of the previous Rebbe and a first cousin of the martyred Rebbe. And he lived in Ludge and he engaged in a wine business. And despite his association and marriage into the Alexander family, he also maintained a relationship with other great tzaddikim of his day, including Bells, and Charkiv, and Galicia. Also, Meirich Ilhalstuk, the Ostrov Rebbe in Poland. He spent some time in England, later the United States also. He moves to Palestine in 1934. He lived very simply in Yerushalayim. Um, and following the war, as the only prominent family member of the Alexander Rebbe, to remain alive, so he was asked by Alexander's survivors in 1947 to attempt to rebuild the dynasty. He moves to B'nai and he embarks on rebuilding. A shul, a shtibl a yeshiva, a court, a dynasty, a community. Limited success, but some success. Um, and he even changed his name to his wife's maiden name of Danziger to preserve the Rebbe's family name. Most of his own family had also stayed behind in Poland and were killed as well. Um, But he had one son who had moved with him. Uh, He served until his passing in 1973, and then he succeeded by that son who had moved with him in the 1930s, Rabbi Menachem Danziger. And under his more than three decades as leader of the Alexander community, it did witness modest expansion, and he opened several steebles in Israel, the United States, and beyond. When he passed away in 2005, his son is the current rabbi. He's the first one not born in Poland. He's born in Israel, Rabbi Yisrael Tzvi Danziger, and he has his court based in Bnei Brak. So this was uh, the Alexander Dynasty. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda, at Yehuda for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.